You're listening to Story Power, a podcast dedicated to disruptive storytelling. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Welcome. Jameer Reynolds is a community activist, the executive director of the Marin County Cooperation Team, and the community engagement manager for the Sausalito Marin City School District. MCCT provides Marin County's most vulnerable residents with comprehensive support services, which address both critical and long-term needs. As MCCT's executive director and founder, Jameer is the architect of the Marin City Public Safety Initiative, the Frederick Leon Marcus Youth Academy, and the School to Life Project. The MCPSI is an initiative about reimagining policing and public safety, as summarized in Jameer's recent TED Talk titled, Reimagining Policing for the Good of All. Welcome to the show, Jameer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. really appreciate it. Yeah. So what would you like to tell us about who you are? Um, I'm a child of Trenton, New Jersey. I'm raised by my teenage parents and my grandmother um, grew up in a three-bedroom house in, you know, the Miller Homes projects. Uh, it was 15 of us. Um, you know, been through my ups and downs, definitely ran the streets, did everything that you could think of, but I always knew that I wanted more. Um, you know, like I wasn't reduced to just the seven square miles of Trenton, New Jersey. Um, I was a gifted athlete and and through sports, I was able, you know, to see the world and see the country, um, you know. And so I just, I just, at a young age, I knew that I was leaving. I didn't know where, I didn't know how, but I knew I was leaving, you know, Um, on the dark side of it. I was physically and emotionally abused, Um, you know, so that right there was another, uh, you know, thing in me that was like, I have to get away from this. You know, I know we want our bios to be nice, fluffy, you know, and pretty, but I've been through some shit in my life, you know, Um, being homeless, you know, selling drugs, uh, robbing, you know, um, just doing anything that I can um, to really get by, you know, but, you know, I wasn't doing all those things just to be cool and get a you know, a necklace or anything like that. Anything that I did, I would take the money and go to the registrar's office at college. Um, it doesn't justify it, but, you know, I had to do what I had to do. You know, I left home when I was 18. I'm 41 now. I haven't lived in Trenton, New Jersey in 23 years. You know, and, I, and so, again, ups and downs, but I persevered, wind up going to over 20 countries, you know, lived in Abu Dhabi for five years, uh, started the first ever mentoring agency for young African-American men living in the United Arab Emirates, wind up winning uh, an international award for community service. You know, so again, man, you wow. know, all, you know, I had my, my valleys, but I damn sure, you know, had a few mountaintops in my life. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the fact, like, how were you in 20 different countries? What were you doing? Um, I just traveled. 
you know um I, I wanted to i wow. wanted to see the world you know my you know my my mom was 16 when she got pregnant you know 17 when i was born my dad was 18 and then 19 when i was born but they always introduced me to the ways of the world whether it's through national geographic you know being a young a small child learning a different language or reading books my my imagination was taking me places and so as i got old enough to travel i just start going different places um you know and mm-hmm. you know i tell people like my two of my favorite countries uh, is actually south africa and sri lanka mm-hmm. um you know south south africa for the reason of I, i've always been i can't call it a fan but like someone who really looked up to shaka zulu um mm-hmm. you know just everything excuse me king shaka um yeah. everything that that he went through as far as being like a bastard child and coming back and, you know, being this great military mind that, you know, militaries around the world still use his defenses, you know, their, their, their strategies, um, you know, and just seeing where he held his defense meetings and visiting his grave and, you know, watch how even to, to this day, people still speak with reverence, you know, when they mention his name, um, um, you know, and then Sri Lanka, I remember uh, it was my family and I, and we were at the, the Temple of the Tooth, um, which is where they say Buddha's tooth is housed, and it's in this golden casing, and it has emeralds and all this other things. And I watch people bring things to say thank you, like rice, flowers, you know, other things. And I really never saw that before people were bringing what they could to say thank you to buddha and so as i was walking through the courtyard it was a sri lankan man and he 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 grabbed my arm and he pointed to his skin and he was like cousins and i was just like damn like it's crazy you know that here i am i got my wife my (laughs) in-laws my son and this he stopped me you know and he was like no we you know, like family. And I was like, and then from there, I just really got to experience the the beauty of Sri Lanka. Um, I never stayed in a hotel where it had a sign that says, keep your windows closed because the monkeys are coming and steal your stuff. Uh, But it was just, you know, candy in Colombo. I visited a garden that was like 1,200 years old. Um, It was just beautiful, you know. So like I said, you know, really getting back to it. My parents already put in me you know, sun go off and see the world. I love that. Um, I mean, just a side note, like my husband and kids and I, I actually had my kids in China and lived in Shanghai for like on two occasions. Um, And very similarly, like just instilling in my children, you know, this idea of there's so much more to the world. Like I don't want you stuck in this space where you feel like this is all that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's part of the reason we're in Mexico right now, because we get an opportunity to travel and we're like, all right, let's do it. Right. Right. So you spent a significant amount of time, though, in Abu Dhabi. And mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about what you did in Abu Dhabi? Um, so when I initially, when we initially went, my, uh, my wife had a friend over there uh, that she was teaching. And 
the UAE or the United Arab Emirates was going through this educational transition of bringing in Western teachers, uh, you know, because they were redoing their education model. So you go over there, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of course, boarding schools, uh, international baccalaureate uh, schools, you know, like Gems and Wellington. And she was like, Shakira, that's my wife's name. You should apply to come over here, you know? And I was like, Man, why, why not? Like, 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 do it. And so, you know, my wife was like, well, they're not going to hire me on the spot. That's not what they normally do. And the interview was in New, New York. We were living in North Carolina. So for us, it was just like going home. And the whole ride up there, I said, they're going to offer you the job on the spot. I'm telling you. Wow. And she came out. She was like, Jameer, they offered me the job. And it's like we you found knew. out, right? <laughs> and so we found out we were pregnant, so we had to push it back. So my wife went over a few months before me. I stayed in North Carolina, packed up the house. Uh, we had just had our son. So I drove from North Carolina to El Sobrante, California, right outside of Oakland, and then sat for two weeks, then got my four-month-old, and then got on the plane and went rose for 17 hours. Uh, and so <laughs> while I was there, you know, I was finishing up my master's degree um, and things like that, and then I started working at the Higher uh, Institute of Technology in Outlane, okay. which is the original home of the Al Nyons, which is the one of the ruling families, the, the, I say the main ruling family of the UAE. Uh, and so I was, uh, being a professor, I was working with police cadets. Um, and then while I was there, they started a football league, the Emirates American Football League. And so, you know, I signed up for that. But what I noticed was there were a lot of African-American mothers who were single, but they had children and there was nothing for them to do. And so hmm. I had this idea of, you know, of course I'm being a professor, I'm at the university. I was like, I need to do something for these young brothers uh, over here. And I went to Granville Academy in Trenton, New Jersey, that was started by one of the first African-American executives of, I believe, of Mobile or Exxon, William Granville. And so at 12 years old, I was learning how to read the stock market. Um, you know, really, it was from a, a, a economic standpoint, just business and things like that. I said, so I want to do something like that. And so I launched I Promise. It's not connected with LeBron James or anything like that, but it was called um, I Promise. And we talked nutrition, financial literacy, uh, etiquette. Uh, we looked at laws, U.S. versus the laws in UAE, social media etiquette, and it it was a success. And, you know, oddly enough, I was preparing these young men through my academy in Abu Dhabi to come back to America because wow. a lot of them really didn't know you know, you can't operate, do what you do in Abu Dhabi and bring that same mode of operation here in America. So I prepared them to, you know, to come back to America. The crazy thing is, is that my first cohort of, of my young guys, two of them um, 
or two, no, three of them are freshmen in college now. Um, you know, uh, my other little guys are like in 11th and 12th grade. But that was the goal. I wanted to prep them for coming home because you, the time when I was there, it was like if your contract is up, you couldn't buy property or anything. You had to come home. And I wanted them to come home right. prepared. So, yeah, mm. that's what I was doing over there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, is this kind of where your work really launched, or were you doing work in these capacities like before you went to Abu Dhabi? Um, before you know, before I uh, I moved to Abu Dhabi, I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, for like twelve years. And okay. I always I had a passion for working with uh, individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, you know, one of the best jobs that I had was working with an organization called RSI in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, you know, I was a group home, uh, supervisor, um, but I also was a part of the day program. And one of the things that I really loved about it, it, it wasn't about numbers. It was about human connection and watching someone learn a different skill or a new skill and watch them gain confidence. And so I knew I wanted to be in that realm. And it actually prepared me because I have my nine-year-old and my six-year-old have autism. Um, so I always knew community service was, was the thing I wanted to do. But living in Abu Dhabi and then looking at the news of what was going on in America. Inter- international news looks different than America media. And I really want people Yes, to it un- does. I really want people to understand if you ever watch the news, if you ever leave America, watch the news and you'll really get to see what was going on. It's so true. In addition to wanting to come home and, and really give back, um, my six-year-old was born there, um, but my, my nine-year-old Early on, my wife, you know, who was a teacher for 19 years, she just kept telling me, she was like, Jameer, you know, I believe that Khalil may be on the spectrum. And I'd be transparent. I was like, nah, he good. You know, he's just, he'll grow out of it. I was in denial, you know. And so we started getting him help. And at the time in Abu Dhabi, there weren't any services for youth with developmental disabilities. So we were paying an exorbitant amount for like 30 minutes a week, you know, and, and a lot of the individuals who were helping my son really didn't know what they were doing. You know, in addition to, uh, you know, both my wife and I, fathers were sick. And, um, and so we, uh, Um, and so, you know, we, you know, we literally had to come back home. Um, and unfortunately after being here a while, you know, my wife and I, we lost our fathers, you know, my, my dad passed away in August of 2019 and her father passed away in December of 2019. And so, you know, we came home. Um, and got enough, you know, just enough, you know, time to spend with our fathers. And so that's, you know, that's one of the main reasons, you know, we came home not only to give back, but also make sure that our, our, our two little ones 
we're able to spend time with their grandfathers, um, also get the services they need. And I'm happy to report my nine-year-old is the man um, making leaps and bounds in school. Uh, my six-year-old, he's always, he's the boss baby. Um, you know, <laughs> he's doing good. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, that we came back, but a selfish part of me wanted to stay just because that that lifestyle. Just oh, I know it. <laughs> I see. I know it, and our stories have an interesting parallel because mm-hmm. when, I, like, I had my kids in China, I moved home because I thought I couldn't do the twin thing. I was suffering from postpartum depression. Right horrifically and didn't even realize it and didn't have the support there came back. And then we end up four years later going to China again. And my son was, he had epilepsy and they couldn't treat him there. And it was terrifying. And my mother, like my bonus mom, I call her, she was diagnosed with cancer when I was gone. And then things just happened and we came back really early and had that time with her, but then she died. And so I have like these very similar um, parallels in a sense, but also relating to like when you live in some of these countries, um, it's a different experience and it's a beautiful experience in so many ways and having that opportunity. So um, I have a unique ability to relate with you here because (laughs) a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people you meet and talk to, they just, they've not lived abroad and they, you know, like some people will look at you like, why would you even live anywhere else? You know? And I'm like, get me out of here. Because I have five children in total. My, my, my oldest is 20. I have twins who are 15, a boy and a girl. And then I have, a nine-year-old or a six-year-old. Um, you know, my my little ones have been to over 10 countries, you know? Yeah. And so for, for them, it's like, when is the next time we're getting on a plane? You know, my, right. you, know, you know, they're like, if a plane ride is shorter than six hours, they're like, no, this, this don't, this don't feel right, dad. Like, what? Hold on. Are we turning around? Oh, that's so true. Right? Because it's like I had the 14-hour flight to China. You know, I'm like, this eight hours of Europe thing, like, psh, I took a nap, you know? <laughs> right, like, right, right. That's funny. Okay, so we're back in California. So you are, I would love to hear about just all of the things that you're doing now. Okay. Uh, I'll start with my with my regular nine to five. I am the community engagement director of the Sausalito Marin City School District. Um, And so I'm also on the advisory board for the desegregation committee. I'm helping to desegregate a school district in 2021. It's the first desegregation act in 50 years in the state of California. Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit for people who are listening and maybe like, what is he even talking about? Yeah. So in, in Marin City, um, there, if anyone knows about Marin City, Marin City was actually created for African-Americans who were migrating from the South to work out here on the West in the shipyards. However, 
the African-Americans, when they moved to this area, could not buy property. So they were confined to, we could call it a bowl. And so once the, the ships, you know, closed down, the families were still here, you know, under supreme, supreme oppression, racism, whatever you want to call it. And so they created a school um, that was high performing, um, family oriented, um, and it had it was a California school, uh, a distinguished California school, um, all these awards, and the neighbors from around in the Sausalito area um, built their own school, so the white kids wouldn't have to come into the black neighborhood. And what happened was they took all of the money from the school of color and poured it into the white school, hoping the black school would implode. And it was intentional. And yeah. it was brought about. Uh, funny enough, the attorney general at the time who brought it, who brought the desegregation act before the state was Kamala Harris. And so she was the one who spearheaded this. And now it's, you know, Attorney General uh, Becerra, I believe his name is. And so parents okay. got together and they petitioned and they pulled out all the evidence and documents. And my first week here, because they didn't tell me this when they were hiring me. I'm going to tell you this now. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm, you know, sitting in my office and I'm walking and I'm on the playground and I see like look like CIA and they got a little 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 podium and I'm like, um, what in the hell? And that's when they announced it. But they didn't oh, tell like like that that was not a part of my interview. So my job is to restore all of the resources, look for new partnerships, uh build a community school model because the resources that were here were funneled to the white school. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my, <laughs> my moonlighting, uh, I'm the executive director of the Marin County Cooperation Team. Um, imagine an Amazon of comprehensive support services where you, you, we have seven teams uh, everything from academics, families, to seniors and those with limited mobility, crisis care. You send one email, and within 35 to 45 minutes, someone responds. And within a few hours, you have all the support you need. Wow. And this was created when Gavin Newsom shut down California. I was sitting in a cabinet meeting with the superintendent and chief business officer. Okay. And I know that our students, some of them receive mental health services. Some of them, this is the only place they can get a meal. We have parents who, you know, who receive counseling. And so I went home and I created it. And the way that it works is we, we use all of the nonprofits that are here on the ground and we help them diversify their service model. So if you have a nonprofit that does maybe food and housing, but doesn't do mental health, if you're under this umbrella, 
I don't have to send you to another agency. Everything is right here, so you don't have to turn anyone away. Wow. Um, and we were recognized as one of nine agencies to continue services during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we were represented on the first crisis act, uh, AB 2054, um, because folks were wondering, like, where the hell did this model come from? Um, and it, it does work. It has been working. Uh, we were recognized by, uh, we got like congressional recognition for innovation. Um, you know, and then, you know, from there with the whole George Floyd um, situation, um, you know, it was a lot for me. I did a TED talk called Reimagining Policing. And so what I did was I created a public safety initiative for Marin County. Uh, and it was really a plan of this is what we want from our law enforcement, not you're going to tell us what you think we should have. And so I literally walked into the Marin County Sheriff's Office with my plan and said, this is what I want. Uh, and it was ranging from, you know, individual, everyone 14 years or older in Marin City will become CPR certified. Uh, we will create neighborhood negotiation teams removing, you know, police, uh, you know, from interfering in small community matters, having a 24-hour substance uh, crisis center. So instead of locking them up, you take them to triage and get them the help they need that keeps the taxpayers' dollars down. Uh, I started the Frederick Leon Marcus Youth Academy, which is named after the first African-American sheriff who uh, who was here in Marin County uh, from grades 9 through 12, and the School to Life uh, program, which provides mentors for individuals who have IEPs or indiv individualized education plans to disrupt mm -hmm. the special education to prison pipeline. In my TED talk, I speak about, you know, really having a plan in place when engaging law enforcement and giving them a chance to step out of their comfort zone. Um, you know, not just police, but the department. I have partnerships with Department of Probation, the district attorney, the firefighters, um, uh, of course, the Marin County sheriffs, um, and each one of them, you know, because I came in like, this is how we're going to collect data. This is the demographic that we're going to serve. Uh, even when there was food insecurity, uh, we started a food bank. And I asked the police officers, what well, the sheriff's officers, I said, how about I create an environment where you can interact with the community, but from being, but, but from a servant standpoint. And mm -hmm. to date, they helped us pass out close to almost 80,000 pounds of food. And I remember a parent pulling up and seeing a cop car. Like, oh my God, who they here now? I was like, actually, no, they here to volunteer to pass out food. You know? Um, so again, you know, seeing the whole George Floyd thing, um, like it hurt, but I knew I had to put a plan in place. Um, you know, so I do a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm just like sitting here. I almost have tears just listening to all the things that you do. 
And it's so beautiful. Like back when you were talking about working in, was it South Carolina or North Carolina? North Carolina. In North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Like I could just see and hear the heart that you have for people. What is your why? Like, why do you do this? If we look at it from like the Lorraine County Public Safety Initiative, I was beat by the police on three separate occasions. Um, Well, actually two. At eight years old, I was told to get out of the car and lay down next to my father on the ground. Um, at 12 years old, you know, I was beat with a flashlight at 15. I was handcuffed, thrown in the back of the car and, you know, they whispered in my ear, like I should throw you in a Delaware river. And so for me, for the longest time, like I hated law enforcement, you know, and I talk about this in my TED talk, what changed it was when I was living in Abu Dhabi and I was driving, I was lost and a cop Mm. pulled me over. And me, my, my previous experience with the police has always been negative. But he came and tapped on a window. And he was like, you know, hello. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm like, language. You know, I make a set of yeah. moves. He might do something. And he was like, you look lost, my friend. How can I help you? I never oh. had that in my life. And I'm 7,553 miles away from home. And I said, you know, Maybe I need to revisit and reuse this, this, all this energy around hating and then transforming. But what I will not do mm. is walk into the space and have them tell me what they think I should do. I knew that I had to have a plan. I knew that I had to hold them accountable. And so everything that mm. I asked them to do was damn near free. So we couldn't use couldn't use money, you know, or anything else. Mm-hmm. I created the environment for you to serve, and if you were willing to serve, you know, I'm. I tell anyone I like donations, which is cool, but I know time is your most important commodity. So why not double down? Like you could yes, donate it is. if you want to read, if you want to come to the youth academy, um, you know, um, and then. On the other spectrum, you know, growing up in New Jersey, growing up in New Jersey during the the, the 80s and the 90s, it was bananas. Um, You know, it's a lot of latchkey kids. You know, we had had programming that kept us off the street, like the Weed and Seed program, Midnight Basketball. We had the Covenant House. But when I got older, all those programs vanished. Right. And so I wanted to recreate that environment to give, you know, to provide hope. You know, they talk about, you know, when whomever opened Pandora's box, how all the sins of the world came out of the box. But it was one thing left in the box, and that was hope, mm-hmm. you know. And so for, for me, I know everything got out of the box, but I took a peek in it, and I was like, I can do this. And so, you know, again, the Two different whys, but, you know, but they're all intertwined. Because you brought up hope, what gives you hope? For me, it it started when I was younger. Like, I didn't experience, like, real, real racism until I left Trenton. 
because I had all black teachers, <laughs> you know, my whole community was black. There was 5,000 kids in my high school. 97% of them were black, you know, um, and I always had knowledge of self. I always knew who I was, you know, and my father used to tell me something. He said, son, the best way you beat down a white man is through education, you know. Um, he said, because, you know, once you start venturing to violence, they they use that excuse to cage you like an animal. When they don't really realize sometimes that violence was, was your last resort. And so, you know, having that from my father and from my mother, you know, I try to see the good in people. You know, that that's what gives me hope. And oftentimes when people you know, are being negative towards you, have like a certain perspective. A lot of it's coming from life experience, trauma, lack of knowledge, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you're willing to, to step outside of those obstacles, there's hope. But as long as you remain comfortable in them, and then it takes a life-changing situation for you to be like, damn, I was wrong. That's what you don't. Yeah. Right. So that's what gives me hope. Wow. Um, I'm curious in this current climate with discussions about defunding the police, for example, right. and reimagining that. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're comfortable kind of speaking to and talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. You know, cool. what, what, what I did was with my public safety initiative, when we talk about defunding, I literally, I give you 14 points of where you can send the money. So instead of using it as a catchphrase, you have 14 options to choose from. And, and all of the options point back to the community, strengthening relationships, economic power, social justice, emotional healing, um, and so much more. You know, because, you know, we're throwing that defund word around so much. But then when you ask people, what is it that you want? A lot of folks can't tell you. Or, or, it's, or it's a general response. Mm -hmm. So my answer to that was and is, I'm going to create something that is specific, that will let you know how many man hours you need, the dollar amount associated with it, the frequency, the purpose, um, you know, because one of them is having uh, courageous conversations with law enforcement in the community they serve. What a lot of individuals don't know is that Marin City um, is a training ground for new sheriff cadets. So imagine... You come into this all-black space. You have your own biases. And then, and then you hear negative things about this community that you've never been to. And you're only here for two years. So how can you uh, effectively serve? And so my answer to that was volunteerism in this community should be a part of, a part of cadet training. Yes. Right now, because now all the funding you're using towards 
putting them in cars and sitting and watching, they have to serve now. Mm. Right? So now yeah. you're so so now you're you know you're doubling down your money and your time. Now you're building a more well-rounded community. And these cadets will be in a position to learn or dispel some myths they might have had before coming to this place. That's what I mean around defunding, is being specific mm-hmm. in your ask. And, and that's one thing that I do. And that's reimagining policing. We have to remember, probation is a part of this, right? You know, mm-hmm. like when you have a, a recidiv- recidivism rate that's out of this world, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what I what I did was... Is, um, you know, a lot of people heard about it around the county, but this is the first time I'll be saying it like nationally. Um, I created something called the Vision Project, where okay. offenders would be connected to a life coach three to six months before they are released. And so they would create an accountability plan. Housing, you got to go to DMV, repairing family relationships, uh, enrolling in programming getting them to volunteer. So instead of you being shipped out, you giving a bus ticket and saying, go figure out. It's like, no, I want you to go to the Marin County cooperation team. This is the person you've been talking to for the past three to six months. So now they're not feeling lost. They have a plan. Cause remember they're coming from a place where everything was structured. Mm hmm. Now imagine coming out and it's positively structured to push you towards your own independence. And I call it the vision project. And so, you know, that's, but that's all a part of the public safety initiative. So I know Mm -hmm. what, what I want. And all of these things didn't come out of my head. This came from an effective feedback model where I interview the people that I serve. So the model and the feedback and the data reflects the community. So, yeah. That's awesome. So this is Marin County and Marin mm-hmm. County is like, like how, how, or are you partnering with other places throughout the United States who want to follow these models that you've created? Um, I haven't really partnered with anyone around the country and I know everyone has their own thing going on you know but but for me I go and look at other states and what they're doing you know when I do reach out you know um I just feel like as we say everyone is in their own bag and so right. the, my, my goal is connect throughout California then move okay. out um, yeah. Because again, you know, it was a study I believe that was out. It was like you're eight times more likely to get stopped in Marin County being black than you are in Alabama or Mississippi. Yeah, and I heard about. I mean, I heard you talk about that mm-hmm. on the co-conspired conversations right. podcast, and right. I was just like, then Alabama, right. like right. wow. Because isn't Marin County also like one of the whitest areas in the United States? And one of the wealthiest. Yeah. 
whitest, Our- wealthiest. I mean, and, and just to, to think about the history there yeah. and the school desegregation project that you're working on. And in the fact that this isn't just in Marin County, right? Yeah. Like we had, um, I live in Detroit when I'm in the United States and there's a neighboring city called Ferndale. And I know teachers in that particular school and they talked about active mm-hmm. um, process that they were going through to desegregate even the Ferndale schools, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is all over the United States. And this is right. something that most people, mm-hmm. most white people have no clue is yeah. happening or going on, you yeah. know, like they're just la 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 living in their bubbles. Um, so I'm excited to hear about just all of the work that you're doing. How can, are there ways that people can actually support the work that you are doing? Um, yeah, I, you know, of course the, you know, the standard, you know, donations, we go to Marin County cooperation team.org. Awesome. Um, you know, it's a donate button that lists out all our teams. But what I'm really, you know, one of the things I'm looking for is like thought partners, you know, yeah. from around the country. If I can get a think partner, um, you know, to bounce some ideas off of, you know, maybe have it be sister cities or brother cities uh, where we're collaborating. And I think that, you know, that that's how it spreads. You know, that's yeah. I'm, I'm always a, a seeker of, of knowledge uh, and innovation. And so that's, you know donations if you're in this area i would love for you to volunteer you know come speak at you know at my youth academy um or the school to life uh program or you can volunteer on one of the seven teams um so yeah so three things of course donations a thought partner and volunteers that's awesome is there anything else that you want to talk about before we finish this up yeah, um, during these, during this time, my forty-one years on this earth, being black is hard, and now it's exacerbated, and it feels like that folks are joining the movement for a Facebook opportunity. It's not my job as a black man to carry your emotional baggage or you trying to figure out why you are racist. It's not my job to solve the racist equation because that math problem existed before our people came to these shores. Um, And I just want people to know, like if you have a friend who's black, African-American, you know, Cut them some slack. You know, if if you want to learn or you want to understand, you know, the, the quote unquote black experience, read Miseducation of a Negro, you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X, the spook who sat by the door. Like, there are things out there to help you understand why our psyche is the way that it is and how you dumping how you feel or what you're struggling with on us. And then when we tell you we're tired, you get upset, but we are because every day 
we see someone who looks like us being killed in jail, you know, or just abused. And even in the workspace, when you're having mm-hmm. these affinity groups and you want, you know, the black folks to relive all of their trauma and still sit in these groups. I remember sitting in a group and it was a uh, you know, black affinity group you know, white affinity group. And, and our group was so mentally tired that I was like, I can't do this. Because yeah. it always turns into, well, but I mean, but, but why don't you, you know, why can't black people? And what most individuals don't understand is that there was a system put in place to keep us in a certain place. That is that that still exists, you know. And so again, I and I just really want folks to to do more listening than you do talking. Don't hijack the movement, right? That you know, with the whole Juneteenth thing, you know, I got a frat brother who he's in the armed service, and he said that he was going to a doctor's appointment. I hope I'm not going to say his name. And a guy in the, the hospital was empty. So the person who was helping him, he was like, my, my frat brother was like, you know, where's everybody at? The guy looked at him and said, I don't know. It's some federal holiday. I wish I could get off, but I don't know what the holiday is. That's the shit that I'm talking about. Like, we can't mm-hmm. even get the common courtesy. You know? Um, and that's what I mean by it being so, you know, being so so heavy but again you know i just want folks to know that you know do more listening be more intentional put your damn camera phone down stop taking pictures and really get involved in the movement so yeah yeah absolutely jameer thank you for coming on the show where can people follow you and find you um you can follow me um my organization uh, at Lorraine County Cooperation Team uh, or Instagram, if you want to follow me personally, um, at Nupe, N-U-P-E 609 uh, or Instagram uh, or Facebook, Lorraine County Cooperation Team. You'll see updates from our Youth Academy. Um, also, what you didn't know was the Youth Academy that I started, they tried not to make it happen here in Lorraine County. Mm. Yeah. So wow. Um, it yeah, but we we have an end of year celebration with our first cohort. Uh, so awesome. So yeah. So Marin County Cooperation Team Facebook Instagram at Noop six oh nine N U P E six oh nine on Instagram. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Mm-hmm.